welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! So hello friends, we have a sermon coming your way from Psalm 13. You have it there in the worship folder. I will read it here in just a moment. And then we have a call and response. We are now addressed by the living Lord through the living word. Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you once again for gathering us here, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit we would hear from you by this your holy word. Father, continue to bless us on this journey through Lent as we specifically consider racism and racial injustice in our country. Lord, we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to mourn. We have a lot of ways in which we need to grow. Father, would this growth occur from your scriptures and by your spirit for the good of our world and to the glory of Jesus? And Father, we also need you individually. So for our sin and our suffering, would we know the gracious embrace of Jesus the liberation that comes through him, and the liberation that works itself out in our world. Be with us now, Father, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Fairly often over the years, when I have conversations with friends that are of majority culture like I am, when we're talking about racism or systemic injustice, pretty often we will find ourselves coming back to the same question again and again and again. And it's this. So what do we do? What do we do? What steps can we take? This is when I'm talking to people who are sympathetic and agree, yes, racism in our country is a problem, systemic injustice in our country is a problem, but now what? What do we do? And if you're a minority culture person, maybe you wonder the same thing. To a certain extent, maybe we're in similar boats with these things, But it's that very question that, in my experience, is also a little bit complicated. What should we do? Where do we go? What steps do we take? And there are some complicating factors. For example, the whole individual versus systemic thing. I'm just one person. What step could I possibly take 
that could address centuries-long issues? Do we expect these things to change overnight? What is it that I can do to affect anything large-scale? And these issues are certainly very large-scale. Again, minority culture person, maybe you feel similarly. Or sometimes, when we go straight to asking the question, what do we do? What next step should I take? It can sometimes feel like the wrong question, even. If we get there too quick, maybe we're in danger of passing over a lot of pain and not sitting in the suffering long enough. Maybe we have a savior complex. Oh, now I have decided to take a step to change this huge problem. And in my experience, too, sometimes when we pursue conversations about racism and systemic injustice, the, the conversations become very shrill, and language begins to become weaponized. And here in the sermon series at Liberty Collingswood and for the other programming that we're doing, I'm trying to avoid weaponized language. One of them, just to throw one out, is white guilt. And as I've been studying issues related to racism and systemic injustice over many months, when I encounter that term, in my opinion, your mileage may vary, there are some aspects in which I think white guilt might be true. There are some other aspects in which I think it might not be true. And as I've seen conversations unfold, by and large, using white guilt as a phrase is a weaponized phrase that's not a conversation starter or continuer, but a conversation ender. So what do we do? What steps do we take? And if you're like me, sometimes I can just kind of feel stuck. Majority culture person, minority culture person, we can think to ourselves, nothing's going to change. Right? Nothing's going to change. We might look in the mirror. We might ponder in our hearts. Things are just going to continue. I'm still living where I'm living, potentially. House, apartment, whatever still work in the same job, I'm still doing the same things, the earth is going to continue to spin, and these realities are going to stay with us. Nothing's going to change. And maybe all we can do is just sit and wait for the next news cycle and get revved up all over again. And interestingly, as I have been studying these things for a number of months, when I look at resources coming from the church or coming from wider culture, there doesn't seem to be a consensus for this question. So what do we do? What steps do we take? And realistically, I haven't spent thousands of hours reading, listening, processing, dialoguing, but I feel pretty certain that I'm solidly in the hundreds, one way or another, since George Floyd was murdered this past May. And from what I can tell, there is no real consensus here. There are some good ideas here and there, but there's a huge diversity of opinion. And realistically, I was starting to feel a little nervous as well. So since last summer, I've been telling people at church in the season of Lent, not that we've been ignoring these issues before that, but specifically for Lent, this is going to be the time when we're meeting these issues, racism, systemic injustice, head on. Had said that since the summer, but months were going by, and I felt like I still, in my own mind, wasn't getting a whole lot of traction about how to lead this sort of thing. It was another one of those moments where I checked the business card. It says, Jim Anger, lead pastor, Liberty Church Collingswood. I better start having some concrete ideas about this stuff because right after the holiday, Lent is going to feel like it's coming really soon. 
But this is what happened in early December. And one of the books that I happened upon and started reading was a book called Weep With Me, How Lament Opens the Door for Racial Reconciliation in Our Churches, written by a guy named Mark Rogup, who is a pastor of a mostly but not entirely white suburban congregation in Indianapolis. And that book tells the story of how his church came in a deeper way to reckon with racism in their midst and in their country. And the whole key to that book, and this is what struck me, and it made me think, this is our starting point as well. It must be. Lament. Lament. So if you identify as somebody on the political right or the political left, if you identify as a follower of Jesus or not, or you're not sure, you, we, can lament over racism and systemic injustice in our country. We can lament. We must lament. And we'll talk about here how lament is uniquely equipped to carry the weight of these issues. Lament is both painful and hopeful. Both painful, full of pain, full of so many different emotions, and hopeful, full of hope as well. And you know what? To really do lament well, especially in the biblical sense, we need the Bible. We need Jesus. We need the gospel to press ahead. So let's talk about lament in two parts from here. Let's talk about the anatomy of lament and then also some implications of it. So an anatomy of lament. Mentioned lament already. You may have heard phrases here at Liberty Collingswood so far. Lent is a season of reflection and repentance, and as we're tying Lent to racism, systemic injustice, we are going to do listening and lament in this season. So what is it? What's lament? Tons of definitions out there. Here's one. Lament is a cry of complaint to God, full of pain and for change. Lament is a cry of complaint to God, full of pain and for change. And this isn't just, you know, there's a verse here and a verse there, maybe in the Bible about these things. If you go back into the scriptures, lament is all over the place. As many of a third of the Psalms or more within the Psalter, the hymn book of God's ancient people, the Israelites, 150 Psalms, as many or more as a third of them, upwards of 50, are either categorized as lament psalms or have substantial elements of lament in those psalms. And what do you know? After the book of Jeremiah in the Hebrew Scriptures comes another book. It's called Lamentations. And here's a Bible trivia question for you. What sort of thing is the book of Lamentations full of? It rhymes with cements. And there's a lot of them in there. Or Jesus of Nazareth, the center of the story himself, is a lamenter. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Or on the cross, what is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If not, a lament. As I mentioned a moment ago, there's something particular about lament that can carry the freighted weight 
of issues of racism and systemic injustice. These are big categories. And as we think about our nation's legacy related to these things, 10 million enslaved people having been forced to make the middle passage from Africa through the Caribbean to our country in the midst of the slave trade. Centuries-long injustices. We need something big that can bear the load of these things. And it's no coincidence that for the experience of black Christians in the church, both before and after enslavement, there was a gravitational pull towards laments. And we have these wonderful genres such as spirituals and gospel songs. So many of them are laments. And the blues music. I love the blues. It's another outgrowth of lament coming from the scriptures in the midst of black experience. So let's go deeper. What is lament? And this Psalm 13, there are any number of psalms that it could have gone to, but I went to Psalm 13 here, a psalm of old King David that gives us a a window into lament. What is it? A few different things. A lament, for starters, is a turn toward God and not away from God. How long, O Lord, the psalm begins. I think of Jesus talking to the crowds and his disciples in John's gospel. Jesus says some hard things to the crowd. People start to leave, and Jesus turns to the disciples and says, what about you guys? Are you leaving too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Or like the old spiritual goes, where could I turn but to the Lord? a decisive turn towards God that takes some faith and takes a lot of courage. So if you're somebody that's been a follower of Jesus, but you find yourself in a period of spiritual wandering, thinking, is this true? Does this speak to the modern world? Is this good? Is it right for me? I would encourage you, take some of these questions, turn them into laments, not away from God, but to God. How long, O Lord? Or if you're on the other side of that bridge, maybe you're a skeptical person, but then over these months, maybe you're becoming curious. Maybe you've been tuning in online at Liberty Collingswood. Maybe this God stuff is real. I find myself really roiled and revved up by racism and systemic injustice. I would encourage you to turn not away from God, but to God with these or other things and say, how long, O Lord? Another thing about lament, it sits in pain, and it doesn't skip over it. It takes its time. It says, we're going to be here for a little while. The beginning of the psalm once again. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Have you ever been told, well, just get over it? It's not that big of a deal. We don't like being told that. It hurts. But David goes a different direction here, doesn't skip over pain, but stays in it. And whether it's for ourselves in one way or another, or for larger issues like racism and systemic injustice, we can stay in the pain and not skip over it, not shrink from it, but we can let those emotions flow because God gives us permission to do these things. So it doesn't skip over pain, but it stays there and it sits there. Another thing about lament that I love is that it's about pathos 
and not about preachiness. Here's another lament psalm, one of my favorites from Psalm 137. This is as the Israelites have been in their home country but are now exiled in Babylon by the waters of Babylon. There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I have heard a lot of Bible studies given, a lot of sermons preached from this particular psalm. I have never heard, however, a preacher say something like, Now the first thing that we, me- we remember about Psalm 137 is the end of 2 Kings and the end of 2 Chronicles, where it was the Israelite sin that caused them to go into exile. Be that as it may, those things are true. But here in Psalm 137, the entry in this lament is pathos. It's pathos. We've got to feel it. And when we lean into the emotions balled up in something like racism and systemic injustice, that's where we need to be to begin to lament. We don't want to skip over or get preachy about the pathos in an old gospel song like Watch and Pray. You might be familiar with the song. Here are some verses from the original. Set to the idea that there are some families that are going to be separated during enslavement. Mother, is master going to sell us tomorrow? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, watch and pray. Going to sell us down in Georgia? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, watch and pray. Farewell, mother. I must leave you. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, watch and pray. Mother, I'll meet you in heaven. Yes, my child, oh, watch and pray. You might know another one, the gospel song, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. That's not just an expression of any kind of sorrow, historically, given the the origin of that song, that happened to use that image. The image comes from a literal reality of orphans being made through enslavement. Another thing that I love about lament is that it's unifying and not polarizing. We live in such a polarizing period, but we can lament even when we have questions, even when we disagree. We can lament together. Mark Rogop from the Weep With Me book put it this way. Lament is a biblical prayer language can open a door for reconciliation. When Christians from majority and minority cultures learn to grieve together They reaffirm their common bond as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lament enters into deep emotions of sorrow, hurt, misunderstanding, and injustice. And lament gives us an opportunity to hold various things in tension. Can we and should we lament over the murder of George Floyd and so many others at the hands of police brutality? Names that we know and names that we don't know Yes, but you may know as well that here in our area just a couple of weeks ago, a police officer in Audubon took his own life, committed suicide. Can we lament for that? Yes, we can and we should. I learned this week that at least in our area, maybe it's true more broadly, that the number one cause of fatality for first responders here, number one cause is not dying in the line of fire, but dying by by one's own hand. If 
by suicide. We can lament all of these things. We don't and we shouldn't pick and choose. And lamenting as well brings us together, unifies us, doesn't polarize us, doesn't divide us under Jesus. We can lament together under him. When Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, that's a plural. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can come together and lament under Jesus. Another part of the anatomy of lament, one of the things that I love about lament, is that at the end of the day, it's not about our goodness or what we can do. It's about God's goodness and what he can do. The beginning of verse 5, For I have trusted in the steadfast love of the Lord. That's what I'm hoping in. That's what I'm trusting. For whatever I'm dealing with personally, for whatever our nation, our world is dealing with, for I have trusted, Lord, in your steadfast love. And as the story from here spins forward, it was Jesus that slept the sleep of death in the language of this psalm for us on the cross, the full revelation of all of God's holiness and justice and judgment and love. Jesus says, let me pay that bill for you. I'll take this meal. Paying the penalty for our sin, rising again so that everybody that comes to him can know forgiveness and eternal life forever as the kingdom of God breaks upon the world once again all the way towards the new heavens and the new earth for everything. Not just for some things. Lord, we are trusting not in our goodness, but in your goodness, in your grace, and in your power. Last, anatomy of lament. Why, 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 why do we and why should we love lamenting together? It's because it builds resolve, not resentment. It takes us beyond the culture wars. Verses 3 and 4, there are real complaints here from Psalm 13. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. That's real. But we're pressing forward towards resolution because God is God. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And I'm praying. I've been praying a lot. That our church grow and change, and deepen in the grace of lament. And let's talk about some implications of lament for us here this morning. Three things, and then we'll wrap up. Learning, sharing, and leading. Learning. There is a lot more for us to learn. There's a lot more for me to learn. And it's hard sometimes for me to learn more of my own history that maybe wasn't taught a fuller picture. There are some great things about our nation, so many that I love, and let's keep filling out the picture. There are more things for me to learn and feel, and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, so that I can exercise deeper empathy. 
Last week, we had Courtney and Abby Samuel. It was a gift to our church to hear them share some of their own experiences as it relates to racism and injustice. And one of the things that Courtney said, and I loved how she said this, we can't choose everything, but maybe as a step, where do we go? What steps do we take? Pick one thing. Pick one story. Pick one structure. Pick one historical time period or aspect and learn more there. In my learning over these months, in multiple sources, I came across the same quote by an enslaved person named Harriet Jacobs who gave this eyewitness account again of a family being divided by sale during enslavement. And this is one of the things that I've been learning. It goes like this. Jacob said, On one of these sale days, I saw a mother lead seven children to the auction block. She knew that some of them would be taken from her, but they took all of them. The children were sold to a slave trader, and their mother was bought by a man in her own town. Before night, her children were all far away. She begged the trader to tell her where he intended to take them. This he refused to do. How could he, when he knew that he would sell them one by one, where he could command the highest price? I met that mother in the street, and her wild, haggard face lives today in my mind. She wrung her hands in anguish and exclaimed, Gone. All gone. Why don't God kill me? I had no words wherewith to comfort her. Instances like this were of a daily, yes, of an hourly occurrence. And as I learn there and sit there, there are connections that I make in my own mind hearing some of those stories. And again, your mileage may vary. You may make different connections. But that makes me think of connections when we learn of the ongoing saga of families being separated at our border. When we hear critiques from the late 20th century of how the black family doesn't stay together, there are connections here as it relates to some of this history. Let's learn. And also let's share. There's work for us to do internally and moving outward. How can we learn ourselves to lament better? And Heather, now is the time. Go ahead and drop into our chat a worksheet taken from Weep, Weep With Me. It's a great little worksheet that will help you to lament. You can email sarah at liberty.org if you want the PDF as well that way. There is a paradigm where you can take a psalm of your choice, and there are so many. Reach out to me or other people to learn some lament psalms. And you can fill in, in worksheet form, some of those own laments. We want to give you some tools, not just say, learn to lament, but learn to lament and hear some tools. You can do it with a friend or with a family member. Learn to lament better. And we're also seeking to give you liturgical opportunities, even though we're not regathered yet, to learn to lament together, as we've been using adaptations from the Belhar Confession that deals with racism from a biblical perspective. Lament with us in these things. Our prayers of the people, and that's going to be clear again today. We're using different written lament prayers. Lament in this way. And then also, you can take some steps yourself. Share. Maybe you can share better burdens with other people and connect. Maybe what you can do is reach across an ethnic barrier to a friend and just check in. And these are conversations that would require the Holy Spirit and a lot of sensitivity. Maybe you ask, hey, how have you been doing with some of these things? And maybe in a period of tranquility, 
that's when you ask. And just as an example again, maybe you ask permission, hey, is it okay when we see another headline that might be deeply shaken? Can I check in there? Just see how you're doing. And say, hey, we're in this together. We're in your corner. We're all in the same corner. If our church, Liberty Church Collingswood, can make first downs and progress even in that specific direction, our church would be dramatically changed. Learning, sharing, and finally, leaning. What steps of resolve, verses 5 and 6, can we take? We've been seeding and talking about in various ways, culminating in our Maundy Thursday service a couple of days before Easter. We're encouraging individuals and families and pray about it, talk about it within your families and with other people. Some step of consecration where you feel God pressing you as it relates to racism and systemic injustice. And this is something for discussion and prayer within the people of God about. Where can you press ahead that feels right and fits you? It's going to look different for different people. That's fine and that's good. What about you? But I found for myself, and I think we'll continue to find as a church, that pressing ahead, going back to that question, what do we do? What steps do we take? We'll find that it's a virtuous circle. You might know the phrase vicious circle or vicious cycle. That's when things just snowball down. One bad thing happens, it causes another bad thing, causes another bad thing. We're just going down farther and farther into the drain. A virtuous circle is the opposite, where things happen that build us up and build us up and build us up. As we engage in lament over racism and systemic injustice, let it be by the power of God's Holy Spirit, a virtuous circle where we're humbled, where we cry out, where we gain resolve, where we take steps, but we're humbled and we're sad and we're frustrated and we're heartbroken. And we cry out. We hear God. God gives us some hope. We take steps again. And we are able to have resolve within this virtual cycle. This virtuous cycle. Because Jesus took our vice on the cross. Because he took our sin upon himself. And so we press ahead with deep resolution. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.